Well, good day, everybody. My name is David. Great to be with you as we open God's Word today. Uh, Roger has already prayed for us, so let's get straight into it. Um, last week uh, was the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, a moment uh, we'll never forget um, because we saw evil. Uh, we saw evil that shocked us and made us sad and angry. And our response to this, if you remember, was the, the so-called war on terror. Um, that was the way that we resolved to fix the problem. Uh, but now, 20 years later, uh, after all that, can we say that things have gotten much better? Right, 9-11 was really this kind of you know, wake-up call uh, to our world um, that it is broken. Uh, it was a reminder that we are a, a long way from the Garden of Eden and a reminder that even after all this time, we still don't have the answers to our biggest problems. And it's not like we're, we're not trying to fix them, right? We've spent billions of dollars trying to fix the problems in the world, but they remain. You know, 9-11, it was, it was also a wake-up call to hope. Uh, it really made us hope for a world better than this one. Uh, but it's clear that, you know, we don't have the resources or the capabilities to make that happen. Yeah, because we have tried uh, as a human race again and again, and we have failed again and again. Now, in 2 Samuel this week, uh, it, it's a bit like last week, um, again we see the sickening evil of sin and its consequences, and also our inability to fix the problems that it creates. Uh, but, but it also does more than that. It also wakes us up to hope for a better world. It doesn't just wake us up to that hope. It shows us where to find it. And so the question for us is, uh, what is your hope for our world and where are you looking to find it? Now, reminder of 2 Samuel, uh, it, this book began after the death of Saul uh, where David's house was growing stronger and Saul's house was growing weaker until David became king over Israel. And since then, David has received two words uh, from God that really drive this narrative forward through these chapters in chapters 13 to 16. So we'll look at them now. Uh, the first is God's word of promise. Uh, that's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is that God would one day establish his eternal kingdom through David's son. Let's read it. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's the word of promise. Uh, then there is this word of judgment that we saw last week uh, in response to David's sin. All right, even though God you know, forgave David his sin, there's still going to be consequences for that. So we read in chapter 12, verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Now, these two words, are a word of, of judgment and a word of promise, uh, they run through these chapters. Uh, we see the judgment for David's sin falling upon his house. Uh, but we also see that David's sin and God's judgment 
does not destroy that promise. And so where the promise remains, hope remains. And so we're going to look now uh, at at the chapters 13 to 16. And 13 uh, verse 1 really introduces the characters for us that are going to play this out. So it says this, In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. And so here's here's the family tree, uh, just to get our heads around it. Uh, King David, he's the king. Uh, Amnon is his firstborn son. And Absalom is his next son, but born to a different, uh, different woman, different wife. And then Tamar is Absalom's sister, daughter of King David. So that's the family tree. And, and then we see over the next 10 years, there's a series of events between these people that are like dominoes, you know, like one knocking over the next until we see David's kingdom uh, really lying in ruins. And so we'll look at them in this way as we go through uh, the relationships. We'll look at Tamar and Amnon, then Amnon, Absalom, and then Absalom and David. So firstly, Tamar and Amnon, a wicked fool. And just, just a warning, uh, this, is, this is one of the most disturbing stories in the Bible as Amnon rapes his sister. Now we saw in, in, uh, in verse 1 there, that Amnon fell in love with Tamar. But we see as the story goes on, this is not love. Now, this is selfish, uh, sinful, sexual desire uh, that destroys people. And so we pick it up here when Amnon is alone with Tamar and Tamar speaks some really strong words of truth. So have a look there at uh, verse 12, if you've got your Bibles open, of chapter 13. Uh, no, my brother... She said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Now, Tamar was absolutely right. Such a thing should not be done. It was an abuse of power. It was wrong, just like David's sin last week. And Amnon was a wicked fool. And Tamar, you look at her, she was disgraced. Uh, She was desolate, it tells us. Uh, This picture of like a a city after war just, just ruined and so her brother Absalom finds her like this uh, and he took her in. And it tells us that she lived with him, a desolate woman. And so with this first story, we see the judgment of God has begun uh, to fall on David's house. His first son is a wicked fool. Uh, but what about his second son? Right? When, when David, when he finds out about Amnon, he's furious, but he actually does nothing about it. And so we see Absalom then taking matters into his own hands in our next uh, next domino here. Uh, Amnon and Absalom. Vengeance is mine. So two years later, uh, Absalom uh, invites his brother Amnon to like a family barbecue. Uh, But there, uh, his intention is to kill him. 
and he does that. And so we are told then in, in verse 13, 32, that this has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Right, so we might think, you know, great, that's good. Uh, he's, he's got what he deserved. Uh, but we see that actually it solves nothing. And actually it threatens to destroy the kingdom altogether. You see, Absalom's way to deal with the sin of his, of his half-brother uh, was more sin. Uh, it's, it's like trying to put out fire with a can of petrol. Right? It just spreads and so now we see that sin is just spreading out of control in David's house. And we see that David's sons are just like him. You know, one is committing a sexual abuse like he did, and the other is committing murder just like he did. And so now his first son is dead, and his second son, Absalom, has, has gone into hiding. And so as we come to parts of the Bible like this, good to ask... Why are stories like this in the Bible? Right? And, and why in so much detail? Well, I think it's so we would look and learn from these stories. Right? That we would look at the ugliness of sin and the damage that it causes and the misery. Right? And we would learn that these evils aren't just out there in the world, but they're in our own hearts. Now, these evils come out of the human heart. And right, this is why the world is the way it is. Right, this is why we can't fix our deepest problems, right, because we are the problem. And so what's the answer? Well, did you notice that as we're going through reading that passage earlier, as God's judgment is being fulfilled, did you notice the promise coming through? Um, did you notice how many times it mentioned David's sons? I counted nine times uh, in, in chapter 13 there. And when you keep hearing the same words over and over again in the Old Testament, uh, that is the author saying, notice this, remember this. And what they're saying here is, remember the promise. Right? Remember the promise to David's sons. And it's telling us God is working to establish his eternal kingdom through David's sons, even through this judgment. And so even though you know, David's sons are not doing so well right now, uh, the promise remains. Right? And as long as the promise remains, hope remains. So we come to the next domino in the series, Absalom and David, a fallen king. So now uh, five years have passed uh, since Absalom has left. And, and finally, Absalom and David are reunited Right, but it's actually, it's a really cold reunion. And we can read it here in, in chapter 14, 33. It says, Then the king summoned Absalom, and he came in and he bowed down with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Now this is, you know, this is not like the return of the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, uh, where he runs and he meets him and he hugs him and he welcomes him home. Now Absalom, he returns like a servant rather than a son. And he receives this official royal kiss uh, rather than the, the loving embrace of a father. And so we can see that all is not well between David and Absalom, uh, but things are actually about to get worse. 
Because what Absalom does from, from here is that we read that he, he begins this conspiracy, right, against his father. You know, conspiracies are all the rage back then as well, just like they are today. Uh, and Absalom, look, he's, he's quite good at uh, the conspiracy. Uh, it helps uh, when you are really, really, really ridiculously good looking. Okay, Absalom was that. Read this, uh, chapter 14, 25. It says, In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. And so he ends up running this like really successful campaign, kind of in secret, against his father. And it tells us that he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Now, now what are we meant to see in this man, Absalom? Is that he is a worldly type of king. Um, he's like Saul. Right? Saul was that outwardly impressive, tall, strong, good-looking person. Uh, the kind of king that the people would choose, uh, but one that was not chosen by God. And so this is not God's king. And when Absalom begins his march to Jerusalem, uh, David knows it's time to leave. And so he flees uh, the city on foot. Right? And this is actually, if you read through, it's an incredibly sad scene. Uh, it almost gets played out in slow motion as David leaves the city. Uh, he crosses the Kidron Valley and he goes up the Mount of Olives and then he goes out into the wilderness. And the whole time they're going, they're, they are just weeping along the way with sadness. And then, as if to sort of rub salt in the wound, uh, when, he's, when he's on his way, uh, this guy, Shimei, comes along. Uh, and he says this, that we read. He says, get out. Get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Now we should ask, is Shimei right? Well, on the one hand, uh, yes, uh, the Lord is behind this. This is his judgment for David's sin. Uh, but on the other hand, no. Shimei has got it really wrong. He only sees the judgment of God and he does not see the promise of God's love for David that will not depart from him. You know, he, Shimei, this guy does not see that even David's sinfulness cannot destroy the promise of God. On the other hand, David knows this. Uh, David trusts God. Um, Psalm, Psalm 3 is one of those psalms that gives you the historical context. And for Psalm 3, it's a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. All right, and so this, uh, this was David when he fled. This is what he was thinking and praying. Have a look at verse 4. Uh, David there says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again. Because the Lord sustains me. Now, I'll bet you, know, you have had sleepless nights. I know I have. Uh, when something is just worrying you and you just cannot get to sleep. Well, think about David. His son is trying to kill him. He's just been exiled out of the city. Uh, he's on the run. 
He's in the wilderness and he's sleeping. And why is he sleeping? Uh, Because he trusts God. Uh, He trusts God will do what he has promised to do. That is better than any sleeping pill. Even the best sleeping pill cannot give that to you, that, that rest. And right, so he prays knowing God has this under control. Uh, and so he goes to sleep. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful picture of trust and faith and hope in God. Uh, meanwhile, back in the city of Jerusalem, uh, Absalom is on the throne and he's sleeping as well, uh, but he's, he's sleeping with his father's concubines. You know, this is just like the prophet Nathan said 10 years earlier when he made that, uh, that, that judgment. Uh, this is being fulfilled now. Uh, the judgment is complete. Now, the judgment's complete, but the promise remains. Now, you know, the, the hope of Israel and why this, this book was written, um, the hope of Israel for the rest of the Old Testament was this promise that God made to David that God would establish his eternal kingdom through David's son. But as we see David's story here in in the pages of the Bible, it's really turning us away from any hope in in humanity and their strength and things like that. And and it's just causing us to cling to God and his promise uh, that he will fulfill it. And so there's one more domino to this series. Hopefully you know where we're going to go. That is David and Jesus. Right, the hope of the world. Right, Jesus was this promised son of David. And what happened to David actually happened to Jesus a thousand years later. Um, Jesus made this same journey that, that David made when he left the city. Now, if you read through John, you'll see that the night he was betrayed, Jesus left the city. Uh, he crossed the Kidron Valley. He went up the Mount of Olives. And there he prayed, trusting his father, Not my will, but your will be done. And then in the morning, Jesus went to the wilderness of the cross. But unlike David, uh, Jesus' suffering had nothing to do with his own sin, the things that he had done, uh, but it had everything to do with our sin and what we had done. And so dipping our toe into Hebrews again, which we're going to do next term, um, we read this about what Jesus has done for us. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. And so Jesus suffered the judgment of God for our sin. Uh, He took the centuries of sin uh, of his people, he took that punishment upon himself until it was complete and our sins were taken away. That's why Paul can say that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. There is no judgment uh, for those people uh, who have faith in Christ because Jesus has taken away their sin. Right, in doing this, uh, Jesus fulfilled the promise that God made to David. He established his eternal kingdom once and for all. And, and, and like David's story, uh, Jesus' story turns us away from any hope in ourselves Because we have tried again and again uh, to create the kind of of world we want, uh, you know, of peace and safety, uh, but we have failed again and again. 
We can't achieve that human flourishing, that buzzword, that flourishing that we are looking for. Uh, We just can't get it. Uh, Instead, uh, we are left, and here's another buzzword of of the moment, we are left languishing. Right, it's that word that describes kind of how people are feeling now in, in lockdown, right, that feeling that you're just not making any progress, like you don't even know what day it is, it just feels like Groundhog Day. But it's also a great way to describe our world. Uh, we're not making any progress on our biggest problems. And so we need to look somewhere else. And, and Jesus has done that. Uh, Jesus is the hope of our world. And so the writer to the Hebrews goes on and he says then, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Here is where we find hope. Uh, When you see the brokenness of our world in sin, uh, even when maybe you experience the the misery and the effects of sin in your own life, uh, don't look inside yourself for answers. Don't look to our world for answers. Uh, Look to Jesus. Uh, Go to him. Uh, Believe in him. Trust in him. Uh, And and, and remember this promise of the city to come. He's talking about the kingdom. Uh, It's it's final coming. It's consummation when he returns, when there will be no more sin. Uh, No more brokenness, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, uh, but only peace and joy in God's presence for eternity. Now, if you truly believe this, uh, it is rest for your soul. When you can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, uh, you can trust that God has this under control, uh, that he will do what he has promised to do. Uh, And that is the kind of hope uh, that can give us rest, can bring us sleep, uh, can bring us peace. Uh, So let's go to Jesus. Uh, Let's pray uh, to him now and pray he'll do this work in us uh, that we can't do ourselves. Let's pray. God of hope, uh, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, uh, one who suffered the judgment we deserved but also promises us forgiveness and eternal life. Father, turn us from trusting ourselves uh, to look to Jesus and trust in him alone and help us to keep uh, looking to him uh, and praying your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, pray you do this work in us by your Holy Spirit and through your life-giving word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.